So we've been looking at things the Bible commands us in which to continue. We've seen we're continuing the things that we have learned. We're to continue in the Word of God. We're to continue in the love of Christ. And now, this morning, I want us to take our Bibles open to Acts chapter 13. And I want us to see that we're continue in the grace of God. Continue in the grace of God. So what is grace? Well, Webster defines grace as favor, goodwill, kindness, disposition to oblige another. He also provides this theological definition. Now, you probably won't find this in the modern Webster's. This is the, uh, what is it, the 1858 dictionary, the old one, the one when he actually had real definitions in there. He says, appropriately, the free, unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source of all the benefits men receive from him. That's a good definition. Unmerited favor is the idea. One has said grace is is what God is free to do after Christ has died on behalf of the sinner. So since grace represents what God can and will do for those who trust in him, it is apart from human works, right? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Which I'm glad is not anything we do that merits grace, aren't you? And when it said, the difference between mercy and grace is mercy is not getting what I deserve, and grace is getting better than I do deserve. Several different ways of looking at grace, but truthfully, grace is God's unmerited favor to us. And so we're going to look at this passage as a springboard into a a study then of grace, so we can see what, what we are to continue in. It says to continue in grace, and I have 11 points for us. So I do not plan on finishing this today, but it's 11 attributes of grace. And I didn't know how to break that down into multiple messages, so we're going to have part ones, two, and three, which seems to be coming a, a trend around here, I guess. But that's okay. So Acts 13 is where we are, and we're going to read verses 42 and 43. Acts 13 and verse 42 And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So here's another area in which you and I are to continue. And Paul and Barnabas Tell these to continue in the grace of God, and so you and I also must continue in the grace of God. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, thank you again for your love for us, your goodness to us, your grace to us. And Lord, as we examine what grace is and how we are to continue in grace, I pray again you give wisdom, and Lord, that we truly understand the importance of continuing in grace, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. All the 11 of these points start with the letter S. So the point number one is grace's source, or the source of grace, however you want to write that down. In order to obtain grace, you and I need to go to the source, right? If I'm thirsty, I need to go to a source of water, whether it be a spring, whether it be a water fountain. I'd prefer a spring over a water fountain. Anybody had good mountain spring water? I'll tell you what, nothing tastes better, does it? They say the water doesn't have taste, but... mm. Anyhow, you got to go to the right source to get the right water, don't you? 
not Philadelphia. It's actually true. This is a true thing. The water of Philly has its own unique taste. And there's a bakery in Philadelphia called Amorosa's that make hoagie rolls. And everybody knows a good hoagie is built on an Amorosa hoagie roll. Well, Amorosa grew so large, they were outgrowing their bakery, and they didn't have any room to expand, so they moved across the river into Jersey, and everybody's like, what have you done to your roll? And the only difference was the water. There was no longer water, because in Philly, it's water. And outside of Philly, it's water. And so it has to be water to make it a, a good hoagie roll. That's a true story, by the way. But if I'm going to go for grace, I need to go to Jesus Christ. Amen? God is the source of grace. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Is that what John said? He's full of grace and truth. Hold your place here in Acts. Go with me just a moment. We'll look at that in John chapter 1. Just a few pages back in your Bible. John 1, starting at verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, that he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of the fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He gives the grace for salvation. We'll look at that in a little bit. Grace of eternal life. The grace of sins forgiven, Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to riches of his grace, grace to help in time and need, and all this comes from Christ. Sufficient grace, we'll look at that later too. Did not Paul have, was he not given sufficient grace when he asked for the thorn in the flesh to be removed? We are told to come to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4.16, let us come, therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we have obtained mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you need grace? Well, I think we all know the answer to that. Then go to the throne room, pray. Do you have needs? Then let's take them to God. You know, it is said of George Mueller, who had the orphanages in England, that he would never tell man of his needs. I have seen preachers and missionaries and evangelists who, when they have a need, they put it on Facebook saying, would you pray with me that God will meet this need? Well, that wasn't the way George Mueller did. He didn't put stuff on Facebook, one, because he didn't have it, but two, because the way he believed that he should deal with it is God has said, come to me, come to my throne of grace. And so he would go to God and he would ask, and it is incredible when you read the testimony of the equivalent of millions of dollars that went through his orphanages to provide and how God provided numerous times. I remember one particular story says that he had the boys all lined up and sitting down for breakfast and he had nothing or had no milk. And anyhow, he prays and thanks God for the breakfast they're about to eat and I don't remember what he even had that prepared for him, hardly anything. But as soon as he says, amen, there's a knock on the door and the milk cart broke down right outside. And he says, look, the milk's going to spoil. If I don't get rid of it, can you use it? That's faith. And he understood the grace of God that met his every need. 
Christian, I question, and I'm talking to this preacher too, why do we not live like that? We know it in our head that he is the God of all grace. We know that he's going to provide out of his riches. Yet, we act like we've got to rely on our strength and our way to get it done. Now, I'm not trying to pick on the missionaries and evangelists and everybody else who put out, you know, the thing on Facebook saying, hey, I got this need, pray for me, you know, and then everybody prays and then I hope they pray, but I know a lot of them will start giving. Why don't we take it to God and allow him to, and that doesn't mean there's not a time to ask, but it's just interesting to me, George Mueller never asked man for anything, yet always had it provided. Maybe we're asking the wrong people, huh? Sometimes I think as Christians, we often neglect the privilege we have to pray because the source of grace is God. Let's remember that. The source is God. And he says to come boldly to his throne of grace. So I can't emphasize enough this first point as we're talking about grace is that the source comes from God, so we need to go to him in, in, by faith, in prayer, trusting him to meet our needs. Isn't it interesting? I'm sure you've all seen and I haven't really actually watched any of the video clips wholly, but just uh, little pieces of them, of uh, Ukrainian Christians in the subway singing praises to God as their country is at war. You know, they're trusting God in a way you and I have not had to experience. So the first point of grace was that it was grace's source. And then secondly, I want us to see that grace saves you see, mercy, as I said before, would be not getting what we deserve. I deserve to be in the, hell, uh, the fires of hell right now. So if Jesus had just said, okay, I'm not going to send you to hell, that would be mercy. But he has gone so much above that in giving me eternal life. Again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How are you saved? By the grace of God. We need to remember that. There's nothing I did to earn my salvation. There's nothing I could have done to earn my salvation because there's nothing good enough in me to earn salvation. It was completely the grace of God. All I had to do was put my faith, childlike faith in Jesus Christ. You know, it's unfortunate that the simplicity of the gospel becomes a stumbling block to many. It can't be that easy, they'll say. There has to be something I must do. And you tell them, there's nothing you can do. It's already done. Jesus has already done it. It's already provided. But nobody wants to throw themselves at the grace and mercy of another in such a way, or a few do, it seems, there's some that are so arrogant and prideful that I must earn this. I must do for it. There's nothing I can do to earn it. It's holy by grace. Let's never lose sight, Christian, that I am saved by the grace of God. I am still a wicked sinner, but I'm saved. I'm cleansed. I know my heart. My heart hasn't changed, right? But I'm glad that God has changed and put a new man. I'm glad that he's put a new heart, right? I'm glad that there is something different than wasn't there before. But I didn't do it. He did it. 
And it is saddening to see Christians and ministers and those that are end up becoming prideful thinking somehow I did something great and I'm, I'm somehow in, you know, somebody special with God because of what I've done. Now, don't take that wrong. Yes, we are all special in his sight. Yes, we are all his children. We are adopted into his family. But understand something. It's not because of anything I've done. Okay, what I mean by that is some that act like when they serve God, they're doing God some great favor. I've heard some say, well, I'm going to get to heaven because I keep the law. And we showed you how to show people that none of us have kept the law. Some say they're going to get to heaven by doing good. But I'm glad salvation is a free gift. In Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, here's the thing. We've got to remind people. When they say it can't be that easy, it shouldn't be free. Something I should do. Say, you know what? It is free to you, but it came at a great cost. Just because salvation is free doesn't mean it's cheap. And that's how we equate things in our society many times, is if it's free, it must be cheap. I heard of a missionary who said, you know, he, we're talking about the John and Romans, and he said that he, while he wanted to have John and Romans in the society in which he ministered, and I forget really where he was anymore, but he said, anything you hand to people free must be cheap. So when you hand them a John and Romans, this must be worthless because you're giving it away. Honestly, our American society has kind of adopted that philosophy a little bit, that whatever you're giving away must be cheap. But let me tell you something. Salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It cost God, his own dear son, dying on the cross of Calvary for you and me. That is a great price. It's not cheap. And how dare you and I cheapen it or allow others to cheapen it? You know, church is teaching that we're all getting to heaven. We're just taking different roads getting there. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's pretty exclusive. We're not all trying to find different ways to get to God. There is only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. And those that get to heaven get there the same way by coming to the, the cross of Calvary, coming to the foot of Calvary, and humbling themselves, and receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior, realizing that they're a hell-deserving sinner, and it's only by grace that they are saved. You know, at Christmas time, we exchange gifts, right? How many of you have ever sat there at Christmas afternoon saying, okay, now what do I owe you for all those gifts you gave me? And pull out the checkbook and ready to write a check. That would be offensive, wouldn't it? You know, in the same way, God has already paid for our salvation. Us trying to act like we can earn it must be offensive to a holy God. So grace is source, Jesus Christ. Grace saves. Point number three. Grace is superior to sin. Grace is superior to sin. Romans 5, 20 and 21, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might be abound. 
For where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Boy, what a thought that is. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Well, you don't understand the things I've done. There's no way God could love me. There's no way God could save me because of all the sin that I've done. You know what the good news is? God's grace abounds and much more abounds than your sin. And God's grace is sufficient still to save even you. I shared just the other day something somebody I saw on Facebook. Um, and I shared this before, but I just like it. And it says, Paul... Something along these lines. It says, The Apostle Paul walked into heaven to the cheers of those whom he martyred. That's how the gospel works. Isn't that amazing? You know, when when Paul got to heaven, those that he martyred weren't sitting there mad at him. They weren't sitting there upset at him. They weren't sitting there saying, You don't deserve to be here. They were glad that the very man that had them martyred was now with them in glory. That, my friends, is how grace is far superior to sin. But I'm glad grace also abounds for the Christian, aren't you? 1 John 1, 9, I think we've all worn it out. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I am glad that verse is in the Bible. Because you know how many times I've failed God? More than I'd like to admit. You know, when I come to him, his grace is still superior to sin, and he still forgives. That's wonderful. He restores that relationship. He gives grace for living. I sometimes don't know how a lost person can live apart from the grace of God. No wonder people are so miserable. Here's a fourth one. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. The source of grace is Jesus Christ. Grace saves. Grace is superior to sin. Now let's look at Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 12. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin hath not for, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. So point number four, grace sets free from the power of sin. We once were in bondage to sin. And by the way, the lost is in bondage to sin. They are a slave to sin. You and I were that before we were saved. The best illustration I can give of this is, is your computer, which has certain default settings. You know why I hate updates? Because it changes stuff on my phone or changes stuff on my computer, then I can't find it, right? And if you want it to look like it used to look like, then you've got to figure out the settings and how to change the default back the way it's supposed to be. Or if you've got a son like mine who knows a lot about computers and likes to see it a certain way, when you get your computer back from him, nothing's where it belongs because he changed all your default settings. Yes, he's here. He heard me. <laughs> well, so it is in the human nature that the default setting of 
of humans because of our sin nature is to sin. But when I became a child of God and I got that new man in me, now I've been freed from the bondage of sin. Now I make a choice to sin. I want you to think of that, Christian. We can't use the excuse that that's just the old way, the way I do things. No, you now have been set free from that. You now are making a choice to do so. Jesus has set us free. We no longer have to serve sin. Verse 11, Paul says, Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So reckon it to be so. Understand, Christian, it is so. You are free. So reckon it in your mind. Get it in your mind that I no longer have to serve sin. I no longer have that default setting of going directly to sin. And I can choose to have victory over sin by the grace of God. I can reckon to be, I am dead to sin. I no longer have to serve sin. I am dead to sin. I am alive in Christ. Therefore, I'm not going to yield my members as members of unrighteousness, but I'm going to yield my members as members of righteousness. Not by my strength, but by the grace of God that he has given me the power over sin, the power over the dominion of sin. I no longer have to do that. So I'm going to choose not to, by his grace, I'm going to choose to serve him. But understand something. Here's the problem. We can somehow think that we can have victory over sin our way. Well, okay, so I'm a Christian, so I shouldn't sin. So I'm just not going to. No, listen, I can't do it in the flesh. It's still by the grace of God. It's by God's power that I can have the victory over sin. Again, so it goes back to then when I'm tempted to sin, if the source of grace is Jesus Christ, right? And I'm to come to the throne of grace, and I recognize at this point, my old man and my new man are at war with one another, and so I need grace. I don't turn to self, I turn to him. And this, folks, is how we can have that victory by realizing it's not in my own strength. It's not in my own power. It's in the power of Jesus Christ. It's by his grace I can have the victory. And I go to that throne of grace and I ask for the victory. Now, if I had a problem drinking and I decide I want to go down to the bar, that's probably not the place to ask, God, give me the grace to get to overcome my uh, temptation to drink because I was foolish in putting myself into the place where I don't belong. Do you follow what I'm saying? This is why, Christian, it's important we go through our house and get rid of the trash and the filth that doesn't belong in our house. Maybe it's time to go through the music library, to go through the video library, to go through the books on the shelf, to go through the things sitting around the house and say, hey, you know what? It might be time for a little purging. A time to get rid of some of this garbage. Oh, well, it's just so innocent. Listen, let me tell you something. If it has the occult in it, if it has stuff that's not glorifying God, using God's name in vain, and whatever, we could go down the list, and you know the list. If, we, if it has that in it, it's not innocent. We need to get rid of it. Ask yourself, could I be doing this activity if Jesus Christ were sitting right here? Well, he is, folks. So if the answer is no, then maybe you're doing the wrong thing. 
Don't put yourself in the position of temptation. So grace sets free from the power of sin. Number five, grace provides security. Grace provides security. See, what do you mean? Turn back just a page or so. You should be in Romans. Go to Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now again, the word hope here is not the wishful thinking hope of the world, but it is the calm assurance. I have 100% assurance that the moment I die, I am going to be in the presence of the Lord. Do you have that unwavering assurance, that security in your life? You know, it's sad that even Baptist churches, we've all heard of the free will Baptist church, they teach that you can't have that eternal security. I am glad the Bible does teach that I can have eternal security, aren't you? Because I'll tell you what, in the uncertainty of this world, it's nice to have some things we can hang our hat on and say that's not moving. We have a hope, an anticipation with assurance. John 5, 24, one of my favorite verses on assurance. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that has sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. I don't know how much clearer Jesus could make it. You have presently, present tense, eternal life. And folks, I taught you this, but I'm going to mention it again, that that's a present tense verb. So then get somebody who's saying, but I'm not sure, define eternal life. Well, eternal means without end. Okay, so what point could it end and still be eternal? Huh? Just think it through. If eternal means without end... At what point could it end and still be eternal? It can't. And if I have it now, not something I will get, but if I have it now, then how could it ever stop and still be eternal? And then, just to make it even clearer, shall not come into condemnation. He's talking about the fires of hell. You will not experience for a moment the fires of hell. By the way, there's another proof when you're talking to a Catholic that purgatory is not a real thing because he says you're not going to come into condemnation. You're not going to have to pay for your sin, which by the way is total blasphemy because how long does it take to pay for sin? But it's passed from death. That's what you were. You were going to die. You were going to be cast in the fires for all eternity, but you're passed from that unto life, life eternal. I mean, that's pretty clear to me, isn't it? To you? But just in case that one is not enough, John writes again in 1 John 5, 13, But these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I'm glad again it's a no, and it's a assurance. No, not a that you may think that you have eternal life, that you may hope that you have eternal life, that you may wish that you have eternal life, but it's that you may know that you have eternal life. I've given my testimony before, and for years I had doubts. And I asked God to remove the doubts. The doubts never removed, and so it meant only one other thing. I truly was not a born-again believer. I had myself deceived, and I got saved. Let me tell you something. Since that day, 
in August of 2001. Cary Grant preaching. That's no lie. Not the actor. The evangelist. By the way, Mike Pelletier knows Cary Grant. Cary, I guess, lost his voice, so he's not able to preach anymore. So I was able to text him. And I said, do you remember being an Ambassador Baptist College in August 2001? He says, he said he did. And I told him I got saved that morning. It was just a blessing to both of us to be able to share that. His message was on Judas, by the way, from Acts chapter 1. And he preached a whole message on Judas being part of the disciples, who was trusted by the disciples. He was the treasurer of the group. He held the bag. And how that he went when Jesus sent him out two by twos, and he went and nobody thought, oh, he's not doing the same miracles we're doing. Judas was a great pretender. But Acts chapter 1 makes it very clear that he went to his own place, that he went to hell because he never knew Jesus Christ. And his whole message was, you can be sitting here and have everybody in this whole room full, but you don't have God full. Since that day, I have never doubted my salvation. I, made, I prayed a prayer when I was 12 years old. And I had doubts all the way through till 2001, and I was much older than 12. I don't remember how old I was, 27-ish? I don't know. Now I'm 48, almost 49. Haven't had a doubt since. Christian, if you don't have that assurance, God wants to give you that assurance. Or if you're not saved, that may be why you don't have that assurance. But let me tell you something. If you don't have that assurance in your own heart that you know that you are a child of God, that you know that you have eternal life, then you're not going to be a faithful witness because how can you tell that which you're not sure of yourself? If you have doubts, the beauty is grace gives security. You can have that assurance. You need to continue in the grace of God to continue to have that assurance. Because Peter does talk about those that get so far away from God that they forget that they were purged from their old sins. Yes, you can get backslidden to where you start having doubts about your own salvation. But isn't it the under, doesn't that help us understand again the importance of what we're talking about this morning, that we continue in the grace of God? Because continuing in the grace of God continues to give us that security, that assurance. And I don't think we're going to start point number six. But I did tell you we weren't planning on getting done. So the five points of grace that we did cover. The source of grace is Jesus Christ. We've seen that grace saves. Grace is superior to sin. Grace sets free from the power of sin... And grace provides security. If this list wasn't 11 long, but was only 5 long, that should be enough reason right there to continue in grace, should it not? But you know, that's not even the end of the list. And by the way, I'm not even going to pretend to have an exhaustive list here. I tried to find the different ways in which grace, you know, different uh, aspects of grace. But I'll tell you, there's so many of them, we probably could preach the rest of uh, our lives on just the grace of God. So we will stop at 11, Lord willing. And if you are struggling with sin, or if you don't have complete assurance of your salvation, remember, it's by the grace of God. And maybe it's time to do a little self-examination and see what is in my life that I'm not 
what, is there, what sin is in my life hindering me from understanding and be walking in the grace of God? Let us bow forward a prayer.